Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we continued our presentation of the direct examination of Alex Murdoch's former paralegal, Annette Griswold. In this installment, we conclude our review of Ms. Griswold's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. It is the late morning of February 8th, 2023, day 11 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, there was a pause in the testimony of Annette Griswold as defense attorney Jim Griffin and prosecutor Creighton Waters presented their arguments to Judge Clifton Newman on the admissibility of a text message from Alex Murdoch to the witness. The defense argued that, since the text message was about the defendant's financial misdeeds and, since he wrote it while in rehab for drug addiction, the text was more prejudicial than probative and should therefore be excluded. The prosecution argued that the text message spoke to the defendant's state of mind and supported the state's argument that his desire to cover up his financial misdeeds was his motive for killing his wife and son. As we begin today, the court returns from a 15-minute break and Judge Clifton Newman renders his decision on the matter. All right, to um, this exhibit number 441, uh, I find that it is admissible under Rule 801 by a party opponent. However, the portion of it that says... Um, when I get out of here is problematic. Um, if the defense would like that portion of it redacted, that would suggest that he's in rehab and when he gets out of here, he's going to do this or that. Uh, we can redact that portion. If the defense does not wish to have that portion redacted, the exhibit will come in in its entirety. Jim Griffin rises to respond. As he speaks, he uses the term race gesti which refers to the events, circumstances, or remarks which relate to the case, especially as constituting admissible evidence in a court of law. Your Honor, here's where we find ourselves on the defense side. His drug addiction and drug use is, frankly, rest gesti to the alleged criminal conduct on the financial fraud. And it's hard for us on the defense side and they're, and they're, it, it didn't really get flushed out in our in-camera hearing because they didn't put evidence up of this, but it's something that we all knew. But it is part and parcel of the financial crimes, and it explains why he did what he did. And, and it does, in a way, pile on and make it even more prejudicial. And so 
when considering that, Your Honor, what we would ask is we want to renew our motion, object to all the financial crimes now that we know drug use is coming in in the midst of it, because it is rest case tie. It does tell the entire story, and we would ask the court to strike all the financial testimony the court's heard thus far, and let's proceed with a murder trial. That motion is denied. Thank you. Uh, But the portion, the court admits this document and will redact that portion if requested by the defense. Do you want to reject, redact the portion that suggests uh, that he was in rehab? Uh, as part of the race gesti, it may even be part of your defense. I don't know. The state is offering evidence, and, um, and we're not asking it to be redacted. We, we would request that whenever we get in these 404B witness testimony, that the court provide a limiting instruction. Thank you. Well, I've, you know, I'm not going to give a limiting instruction prior to every witness's testimony or in the middle of every witness's testimony. The court has given the limiting instruction twice and will do so at the end of the case as well. And there may be other instances, but not at every juncture where evidence is being offered. Yes. All right, so this exhibit is is admitted. You may bring the jury. After the jury returns to the courtroom, Prosecutor Creighton Waters continues his direct examination of Ms. Griswold and shows the witness the document that was just admitted. Just very quickly, when we left left off, states 441, now admitted into evidence, this was a text you received from the defendant, is that right? That's correct. And the date on that is September 26th? September 26th, yes. Is that 2021? It is. Is this the text of that text that the defendant sent to you? It is. I only have a couple more questions for you. Before I get to the end, one question I wanted to ask you was, can, what, what was the defendant's cell phone usage like? He was always on his phone, always on his cell phone, always on his office phone. He would quit one conversation and grab another. Sometimes he would have both phones to his ear. Would it be unusual for the defendant to go anywhere without a cell phone with him? Absolutely. I want to play for you what's been admitted to evidence of States 297. Prosecutor Waters next plays the kennel video shot from Paul Murdoch's phone just minutes before the murders. We've reviewed this video multiple times, but to briefly recap, Paul is filming and talking to a dog named Cash in the family's Moselle Road kennels. As the video progresses, we hear other voices in the background referencing another dog named Bubba. When the video ends, Prosecutor Waters asks Ms. Griswold, as he is asked of other witnesses, whether she recognizes the three voices in the video. Do you recognize any voice in that video? I do. I hear three voices. And tell me who you hear. I hear Paul Murdoch, Maggie Murdoch, and Ellette Murdoch. And how sure are you? I'm 100% sure. Going back to States 441, can you read just that one sentence starting where my finger's pointing that the defendant said? The worst part is knowing I did the most damage to those I love the most. With that, Creighton Waters concludes his direct examination of Ms. Griswold. Defense attorney Jim Griffin rises to begin his cross-examination of the witness. Ms. Griswold, you uh, were you hired by Alec to work at, at the law firm? I was hired by the firm, but he was in one of the meetings, that, and it was my understanding that I was going to be working for him. Right. And so you interviewed with him? I did. And you've been working, well, you, you worked with him for? nine About nine years. Nine years. Yes, sir. My understanding is that you uh, moved back to Hampton because your 
your father was ill? My father was ill, yes, sir. And and then, um, so you moved your family back, you and your husband? and Right. My husband and my daughter and I moved to be closer to my dad and help my mom with him. And and, and you got a job working at the law firm. And, and did you work exclusively for Mr. Alec Murdoch? Most, yes. I mean, there was other attorneys that I might do some work for here and there, but primarily Alec was who I who my attorney was and if you needed to take time off um, to for personal matters would you would you just have to run it by Alec? That's, that's correct yes sir and um, and he put family first at work did he not most of the time yes and and he encouraged you to put your family first absolutely and and, and I think your father excuse me your husband had a heart attack he was in the hospital for quite some time yes for five weeks before he ultimately passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. But Alec encouraged you to do all you needed to do to care for him and don't worry about work. Isn't that right? Yes, he did. And you didn't miss a paycheck. I sure didn't. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Defense attorney Jim Griffin continues his cross-examination of Ms. Griswold by asking her about Alex Murdoch's behavior at work. Is he a good person to work for? It was, it was hit or miss. I, I cared about him. I respected him. I loved him. You know, you can't be that close and work with somebody without having, you know, feeling, developing feelings for them and their family members. Right. Um, but... It was hard to work for him sometimes. He he was a he was a bit erratic and yeah, I, for you know for all the respect and love I had for him, it was still very difficult to work for him. I think your description was he was like a Tasmanian devil that would come through <laughs> at the end of the day. He would. <laughs> and he was frenetic. Yes. Okay, and uh, people came to him if they needed something. Right? Absolutely, yes, sir. And and so he had a lot of people coming and and did he ever say no to anybody's request? He didn't know the word no. Right. He would want to schedule his appointments around his family's um, commitments, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, if the uh, Buster and Paul were, had baseball season, he'd be sure to block all that out off his calendar, wouldn't he? Most of the time. Sometimes he didn't tell us about personal matters or things where they were going until the day of or whatever, But and we would have to reschedule stuff. But... If it was on the calendar, yes, he was going to be there for for anything that the boys had going on. He put in his work life family first. Is yes, that right? that's correct. You, you would agree with that? I would definitely agree with that. And um, and you got to know Maggie. Did I you did. Know? And, yes, sir. And she was thoughtful for you on your birthday and anything you had going on. Absolutely, yeah. And and I think you mentioned the the Ferris trial and. Columbia, um, that that was in Columbia, wasn't it? That was, yes, sir. And and you went to the trial, didn't you? I did. And uh, 
And you remember Alec um, going up on a Sunday and he spent the night in the hospital because his dad was going to have surgery the next day? Yeah, I do. Yeah, seems like that's, that's it's been a and long then, time, but yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and then Maggie came up on Monday and stayed with him during the trial, right? I never did see her. We our paths never crossed because um, I was kind of in work mode. But I know she was she was there. Right. And and he traveled frequently with Maggie on work trips, didn't he? Yes, sir. And he would take his family to conventions and when they would have work, right? As far as I know, yes, sir. And Alec wasn't the type of guy that would go off on a guy's trip. His trips were family trips. I mean, I don't know that without a shadow of a doubt, but, you know, I'm, I know a lot of his trips were family-related, something with him and Maggie or him and Maggie and the boys and their significant others. Right. And, um, and, and he was real close with Maggie's family, too, wasn't he? Yes, it, it appeared that they were very close. And if Mr. Brandstatter's Maggie's dad couldn't get in touch with Alec on his cell phone, he, he would call you and ask, Where, where's Alec? Yeah, he would call myself or Christy and say, hey, can you get Alec to give me a call? Yeah. And um, and they communicated quite frequently, didn't they? They did. And and did you meet Mr. and Ms. Brandstatter? Um, I didn't meet him until I don't. we had a Mr. Randolph was, he got the... Oh, or the yeah, and that's when I met them. That was the first time I'd ever met Maggie's um, parents. And um, if Alec was in even a deposition, and if Maggie or Paul or Buster would call, I mean, he would walk out and take the call. Wouldn't he? I never was present with them. I've, I've heard rumors of such, but I, I was never present with him at depositions and mediations. Well, in the office, if he was in a meeting, he, he would always oh, yeah. take their calls. Absolutely. Never yes. say, oh gosh, you know, tell her I'd call her back. He'd no, he no, he never put off calls with his family. He always talked. You were talking about the night that you learned that Maggie and Paul were murdered, that you thought when you first got the call that it was about Mr. Randolph. Correct. And we're talking about Mr. Randolph murder. That's correct. Alex and Randy's dad. Yes, sir. Because it was well known that, that he had just been put back in the hospital and and his condition was not well. Yeah, it was my understanding that at that point the family was making arrangements to bring him home and, and hospice may be involved. And so obviously we were all expecting awful news. And, and he, in fact, did die on Thursday, June 10th, I believe. I believe so, too. Yes, sir. Right. And, um, and, and after that, you, you said that, um, you know, the, the whole law firm rallied around not just Alec, but Alec and Randy and their, their families. Absolutely. Okay. And, and, that's and we what, rallied around each other because we were, we were scared. We were worried. Right. And then, then after, um, well, I, I guess there was like a tidal wave of media surrounding the law firm at some point in time, wasn't there? Yes, sir. And, um, and so you all had to you know, be careful with comings and goings and then and that was kind of scary, I think. It was. We ended up having to lock the front door because they would just walk in and just overwhelm the receptionist. So it was, it was, um, came in like a daily habit there for a few weeks. So we had to end up locking the door. And, and as a result of Maggie and Paul's tragic murder, Alec Murdoch became front and center of a media spotlight, didn't he? He did, yes, sir. And it wasn't, I mean, that 
and there were cameras outside the court, outside the office frequently, right? There were, yes, sir. And there were cameras out at Moselle? I think so. I didn't go out there, but I'm assuming they probably were. And all the buzz was about Alec Murdoch and what happened to Maggie and Paul, right? Yes, sir. And all the while, you, you were around Alec on occasion, and you noticed his demeanor, and he was grieving greatly, was he not? He was grieving, and he was also very humble. He had, he had changed dramatically. Um, I, you know, afterwards, he was more mellow, and he would come in in the mornings, and instead of yelling, Christy, in it, and telling us what to do, he would actually come to our desk and, and say hello and check on us, and we would in turn check on him. So he, um, he was very different after the murders. And, and he had a hard time working after the murders? Absolutely, yeah, I, as you could imagine. Sure. And, you, and you're aware, and you got to keep up with his whereabouts, but he spent a lot of time with Maggie and um, Maggie's parents? Yeah, he would tell me that he would, had weekend plans, and, he would, and I would hear him on the phone with, with his in-law and making plans to meet up for the weekend. And he, he stayed in Somerville a good bit with Buster, with Maggie's parents? As far as I know, yes, sir. He and, he and Buster traveled um, up to the upstate, Lake Kiwi or something. Are you aware of that? I remember him saying, you know, they, the family had, had property or something up there, his in-laws, and they were all getting together. And, and you're aware that Alec would not spend a single night after Maggie and Paul were murdered at Moselle? Yes, sir. I knew that. And when he was working in Hampton, he was either commuting from Somerville at a stove or staying with his brother Randy, something like that. I knew he was either staying with family or, you know, he was coming back from Somerville from, or Greenville from be, being with the in-laws, but um, that's all I knew. But he never spent one night more at Moselle? Not as far as I know, yes, sir. Now, you were asked questions about Mr. Waters about... Um, the Ferris matter was the furthest thing from your mind after murder of Maggie and Paul. Right? Yes, sir. And, and that you didn't do any more about that after Maggie and Paul's murder, right? That's correct. But I think you also said that that you that you conveyed your concerns to Jeannie Seconder and that she essentially took over. That yes, when I gave it to her, I knew she would. She told me she would take it from there, and so I know she was. I gave it to her, and that was that. And so there's really nothing more for you to do on the Ferris matter after you turned it over to Jeannie, right? Correct. And then you um, were in this Alex's office one day looking for a file, and you stumbled across this canceled check. Yes, sir. It must have been underneath this, the file I wanted in between that and something else. So when I lifted my file, it fluttered to the floor. And, the, um, and, and you felt, I think you talked to this jury about how how this whole thing put you in a bad spot, and your daughter said you need to uh, dust your resume off or something like that. That's right? correct, yes, sir. I was worried. I was hoping I was wrong. I was hoping that my gut feeling was wrong and that what I was looking at was not money being stolen and that he was not doing that. I was hoping I was wrong, but at the same time, I was scared to turn it in because what if they you know, look into it and it's nothing, there's nothing going on. And, and then, you know, it, it disturbs the relationship we had working together. And, you know, what would I do? Would I be able to stay at the firm after turning him in on something so bad that he could lose his job over it? 
So I was I was concerned. I was concerned for my livelihood. I'm a single mom with a teenage daughter. And and nothing happened to your job, right? No, sir. Nothing happened to my job. It's Alice who lost his job. Right? Yes, sir. That's correct. And you you mentioned in what's in the evidence as defendant's exhibit number four four one is a text that you received from Alec, right? That's correct. And it's is was it just to you or was it you and um, me and Christy, his Christy, other secretary. The other secretary. And the date is Sunday, September 26th at 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon? Yes, sir. And, and you mentioned it was from rehab? Yes. As far as I knew, it was a, it was rehab. I assumed it was probably one of the steps of reaching out to those that you, you hurt and telling them you're sorry. And Alec was in rehab? Yes, sir. As far as I know, he was. Jim Griffin then hands Ms. Griswold the document. I want you to read this to the jury. The whole email, if you don't mind, okay. please. Sure. Hey, it's Alec. I'm finally feeling a little better each day. I'm over the worst, but still feel like I have the flu. Real weak. I have been worried about y'all, and I'm sorry I didn't get to tell y'all myself. I know both of you been hurt badly by me. I know it sounds hollow, but I am truly sorry. The better I get, the more guilt I have. I have an awful lot to try to make right when I get out of here. The worst part is knowing I did the most damage to those I love the most. I'm not real sure how I let myself get where I did. I'm committed to getting better and hope to mend as many relationships as I can. You both are special people and important to me. Please know how sorry I am to have made you part of my misdeeds. I hope you are doing as well as possible. I love you very much. Please tell Cheryl and Haley hello, and I'm sorry. All my love. With that, Jim Griffin concludes his cross-examination of Ms. Griswold. Prosecutor Creighton Waters rises for a brief redirect examination of the witness. Mr. Griffin asked you about whether or not you were worried about losing your job over these Ferris fees. Is that right? Yes, sir. And then he asked you the defendant lost his job, right? That's correct. After the murders, but before September, the defendant still had his job, didn't he? Yes, he did. He still had his law license, didn't he? Yes, sir. You said in response to defense counsel's question that people came to him if they needed something, Absolutely. Correct? Yes, sir. He was trusted by everybody, and they knew that if they needed something, all they had to do was reach out, and he was going to help them. He was trusted by everybody. Did you trust him? I trusted him. Yes, sir. People came to him for anything, like all these clients right here? Yes, sir. He was a prominent lawyer? Yes, he was. One of the most prominent in the region? Yes. And all of that came to an end in September 2021 when all of that came out, did it not? Right. When I found the check, I knew that he had lied to me and that he'd stolen that money. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we recap the questioning of Forge Consulting Principal Michael Gunn and review the testimony of Digital Evidence Examiner Brian Hudak and FBI Electronics Engineer Dwight Falkowski. Also, check out the Crime Story Podcast Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Music. 
You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.